Since we hope next Lord's Day to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, I'd like to read the preparatory form. And my apologies for not doing that uh, this morning when it was scheduled, but uh, it's not too late to do it now. Page 155 in the Blue Psalter Hymnal. You'll find it in the Blue Psalter Hymnal, page 155. Beloved in Jesus Christ, since we hope next Lord's Day to celebrate the Blessed Sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we are called to prepare our hearts by rightly examining ourselves. For the Apostle Paul has written, Whosoever shall eat the bread or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man prove himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let each one then examine his life, and considering his own sin and the wrath of God, let be sure that he humbles himself in repentance before God. Let each one examine his heart to be sure that he trusts in Jesus Christ alone for his salvation, and that he believes his sins are forgiven wholly by grace for the sake of our Lord's sacrifice on the cross. Finally, let each one examine his conscience to be sure that he resolves to live in faith and obedience before his Lord, and in love and peace with his neighbor. God will surely receive at the table of his Son all who truly repent of their sins, believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and desire to do his will. All those, however, who do not repent, who do not put their trust in the Lord Jesus, and who have no desire to lead a godly life, are warned, according to the command of God, to keep themselves from the Holy Sacrament. If any one of us is living in disobedience to Christ and in enmity with his neighbor, he must repent of his sin and reconcile himself to his neighbor before he comes to the Lord's table. For if we partake of the sacrament in unbelief and willful disobedience, we eat and drink judgment to ourselves. The solemn warning is not designed, however, to discourage penitent sinners from coming to the Holy Sacrament. We do not come to the supper as though we were righteous in ourselves, but rather to testify that we are sinners and that we look to Jesus Christ for our salvation. Although we do not have perfect faith and do not serve and love God with all our hearts, and though we do not love our neighbor as we ought, we are confident that the Savior accepts us at his table when we come in humble faith, with sorrow for our sins, and with will to follow as he commands. And since it is necessary for us to come to the sacrament in good conscience, we urge any who lack this confidence to seek from the minister or any elder of this church such counsel as may quiet his conscience or lead to the conversion of his life. All then who are truly sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus as their Savior, and who so earnestly desire to lead a godly life, ought to accept the invitation now given and come with gladness to the table of their Lord. That we may rightly examine ourselves before God, let us seek his gracious help through prayer. Almighty God, who has given us the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and who has provided a most wonderful communion with him through the mystery of the sacrament, we beseech thee for grace to enable us to prepare our hearts for the reception of Holy Communion. To all who sincerely believe in thy Son and truly repent of their sins, grant assurance of thy gracious readiness to receive and bless them in the supper of their Lord. To all who are not, have not repented and have not put their trust in the Lord Jesus, grant a restraining fear of this supper lest their condemnation be the greater. But have mercy upon these, and grant them grace to repent of their sins, and seek their salvation in thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We confess, O Father, that we have all offended thy majesty and deserved thy judgment. 
We have transgressed in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. Truly there is no strength in us. Be thou merciful, O God, and grant us thy pardon, and let us come to the sacrament in the joy of thy forgiving love. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with thee and the Holy Spirit, one only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. Our scripture reading this evening is uh, taken from uh, Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, there's a reading both from the Old Testament and the New Testament, but the Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 40, beginning at verse 21 and reading through the end of the chapter. Isaiah 40. That's page 829 in the Pew Bible, page 829, Isaiah 40, 21. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth, when he will also blow on them, and they will wither, and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their hosts by number, who calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And then from the New Testament, from the Gospel of John, Three verses from 1 John chapter 3, page 1,400. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Thus far the reading of God's word may add his blessing to it. In conjunction with it, I'd like to read to you from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 9, page 896, in the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal. Lord's Day 9. We are considering the articles of the Apostles' Creed and the first article concerning belief in God the Father Almighty. Lord's Day 9, page 876. 
What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth? That the Eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father for the sake of Christ his Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this veil of tears. He is able to do this because he is almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful father. Beloved of the Lord, the biblical teaching on the fatherhood of God is under increasing attack in our culture. And because it's under attack in our culture, sadly, it's also under attack in many churches. The idea that God is a father is said to be a relic of paternalistic and patriarchal societies which were cruel and oppressive and not worthy of true religion. It supposedly reflects a sexual bias and stereotyping which is demeaning of women. People who have had abusive fathers are supposedly turned off when we call God father. It said that we should no longer perpetuate this outdated notion that God is a father. Well, though the world may ridicule and some churches are so ashamed that when they sing Psalm 103, they no longer sing as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion. Instead, they sing as a parent has compassion. They don't want to be associated with the idea of fatherhood. Although the world derides and some churches cower in fear and retreat, we boldly confess that we believe in God the Father. God is our Father. Now, I invite you to look at that first sentence of the Heidelberg Catechism and note that it has one main thought with a lot of uh, different uh, parenthetical and adjectival phrases turned uh, uh, inside it as well. The main thought is that uh, the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is my God and Father for the sake of Christ his Son. Or to simplify it, what we're basically saying there is God is my Father. I want you to note that because we're not just saying, I believe in the existence of God. Indeed, we are saying that by implication when we confess belief in God. We are saying God exists. But we're saying much more than that. We're saying this God, as he has identified here, and that's what all the adjectival phrases are about. They're identifying what God or who this God is, who is my father. But we're saying that this God is my father. Just as in First John, you know, what love the Father has shown to us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. We are God's children. He is our Father. That's the primary truth that is contained here. 
the focus of, uh, of, the, of the confession. But we must take note of these adjectival phrases as well because they identify the father and help us to distinguish this father from any earthly father. And uh, that is often uh, necessary to do. Uh, who is this father? Who is our father? Who is your father for the sake of Jesus Christ? Well, uh, he has identified three ways. He is the eternal father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, when we become God's children, we're not the first children that he has. Uh, He has a son, an eternal son, uh, the second person of the Trinity. This reminds us that the Father and the Son, the eternal Son, Jesus Christ, go together. They always go together. They cannot be separated. The Father is the one who sent the Son. The Son is the one who reveals the Father. No one can come to the Father except they come through the Son. And no one has the Father unless they have the Son. He who denies uh, the Son uh, is uh, denying the Father. The Father loves the Son, especially for his willingness to uh, come into this world, to be our Savior. And because the Father uh, has recognized what the Son has done and, and loves the Son, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I'm so happy that he's come into this world and is come to be the Savior of the world because of what the Son has done. The Father has highly exalted the Son and made his name above every name, so at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, the Father has installed the Son uh, on the throne in heaven. He sits at the Father's right hand, and they are together now and uh, are one in mind and heart and unity of purpose in all that they do. Now this God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has this God who has always loved the Son, now is our Father as well. He's a loving Father, a Father who does right by His children and uh, exalts His children. Now He is also identified not only as the Father of Jesus Christ, the eternal Father of the second person of the Trinity. He's uh, described as the creator of the heavens and the earth. Uh, This truth is repeated uh, 36 times just in the book of Isaiah. We read a passage from Isaiah that says, uh, Have you forgotten? (laughs) Our God is the God who who created the heavens and the earth. And he speaks of God's creating power and putting all the stars of the heavens in their place and, and knowing each one and the God who by his might and power can lift us up. Uh, 36 times in the prophecy of Isaiah, God is referred to as creator because the people are going through hard times. And it's good to remember when you're going through hard times who our God is, the creator of the heavens and the earth. We saw it in Psalm 74 uh, in uh, verses uh, uh, 14 and following uh, uh, You divided the sea by your strength. You broke the heads of the sea serpents and so forth. You broke open the fountain and the flood. You dried up the mighty rivers. Uh, You know, this is God's power displayed in nature. And when you're going through hard times, it's it's good to remember those uh, displays of of God's power. Uh, Genesis 1 and 2 were not written 
merely to satisfy our scientific and intellectual curiosity about mankind's origin, but to show that our Father is not some uh, Johnny-come-lately local deity uh, like the Canaanites worshipped, but He is indeed the Creator of the heavens and the earth, the one of almighty power and wisdom who is worthy of praise and who uh, is able to fulfill all His uh, purposes Uh, He's also described as uh, the upholder and the ruler of heaven and earth. You know, the rest of the book of Genesis uh, after creation. Indeed, the rest of the Bible is is written to inspire our confidence that God is in control, that he has a plan, a plan for the salvation of his people. And because he rules, uh, nothing can thwart his will. Uh, That's who your father is. He is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Creator of the heavens and the earth. And He is the one who upholds all things and rules all things. If you have had an earthly father who was less than perfect, and let's be honest, there is no perfect father. But if you have had a a father that is less than perfect, then, then get it clear in your head that your earthly father and your heavenly father are two different fathers. Those who have had an abusive father, a bad earthly father, who take offense at the thought of a heavenly father, haven't taken the time to learn who the heavenly father is. The father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and the sustainer of all things, who works all things together for good and for our salvation. That's who our father is. God is my father. What God? The eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the upholder and ruler of all things. Now, how has this God become your father? He's become your father through Jesus Christ. We're not natural children, but adopted. Jesus is the only natural child of God. Our adoption is through Christ, which means he makes us acceptable to God and accepted Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, and once we have been reconciled to God, we begin to enjoy a whole new relationship. He gives us that spirit of adoption. We read of it in Romans 8, verses 14 uh, through 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. We all are sinners, and as sinners are deserving the, the wrath of God, by nature we are children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, who is rich in mercy, while we were your sinners, sent Christ to die for us. And he has saved us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He has forgiven all our sins. He has clothed us with the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And seeing the righteousness of Christ, he gives us the fullness of the Spirit to indwell in us, which is the Spirit of Adoption. And we can cry, Father, beloved Father, Abba, Father, because we know we are his children. What love he has lavished on us indeed, that we should be called children of God. 
Now, this is a very important uh, truth for our life of faith. I've outlined uh, five reasons uh, in the bulletin as to why this is important. Let me review them uh, with you. First of all, our adoption as children is is vital for uh, for righteous living. Uh, we're called to live righteously, and and knowing that we are adopted children of God gives us the means, the model, and the motive for righteous living. The means, of course, is the spirit of adoption that we receive. You know, when human parents adopt a child, they bestow on that child great love. They bestow on that child a legal standing with uh, any other natural children that they might have, so the child is equal before uh, them under law. But one thing that adoptive parents can't do for an adopted child is give them your DNA so that as they grow, they grow into your physical likeness. Uh, that just doesn't happen with adopted children. We don't have the, the ability to do that. But God, when God adopts, he, he does that. Not that God has DNA, but he has a spirit, his spirit. And his spirit comes into us and conforms us to the image of his natural son. We are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ in knowledge and true righteousness and holiness, says the Scriptures. We become like Jesus. We begin to look like Him, not physically, but we look like Him morally. We become righteous because the Spirit is in us to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the means of righteous living the uh, the model for righteous living is our Heavenly Father. Uh, his character is the character that is to be formed in us. His character is reflected, for example, in the Ten Commandments. Where do the Ten Commandments come from? Well, they come from the very character of God. They reflect His righteousness, what, what He is like in terms that apply to us. And uh, His Spirit... Uh, uh, says, you know, uh, or his word says, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And, and that means that we look to him and the expression of his character in the law. Uh, we're also told to uh, love one another as, as God has loved you, so love one another. And uh, as God has forgiven you, so forgive one another. Uh, so our adoption uh, gives us the model. The Father is the model for the holiness and the righteous living that uh, we are uh, to practice in this life. And uh, it provides the motive as well. Uh, he has uh, done this uh, uh, for us. Uh, so that uh, we might give glory to him. Matthew 5 says, uh, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Why should we live righteously? Well, to show our thanks and to bring glory to God. So being adopted into his family is very important for righteous living, giving us the means, the model, and the motive for it. It's also the basis of our confidence in prayer. You know, when you pray, we're to pray our Father. And uh, when we get to that in the Catechism, it's, it means it says, come before him with childlike trust. Uh, uh, we, we remember that we're his children when we pray and expect uh, great things 
from him because he is able to help us and he has promised to help us in all the things he commands us to pray for. It's uh, the basis uh, for faith, knowing that uh, the creator of all things also controls all things and works all things for our good, enables us to trust him. We saw that again in Psalm 74. You know, the, the, the whole nation of Israel is in turmoil. The temple is in ruins. It's been burned to the ground. Uh, all the meeting places, uh, there's a reference to all the meeting places have been destroyed. And uh, scholars believe that's a reference to synagogues that were throughout the land of Israel that the Babylonians also destroyed. They destroyed all the synagogues as well as the, the temple. And they're all in... In disarray, the, peop- the people are confused, they're fearful, they're uh, uh, anxious, they don't know what to think, but they know that God is their king, and they know that he works salvation uh, in the earth, and uh, that gives them strength when the apostles were commanded, preach no more in the name of Jesus They prayed, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in it, look upon these threats and grant us to speak your word with boldness. They remember that their Father in heaven is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And because of that, they can go forward in faith. Despite the threats that if you continue to preach, we're going to arrest you, we're going to lock you up, we're going to throw you away, we may put you to death, we'll do whatever we need to do to stop you. They remember God as their Father. They know their Father is the Creator of the heavens and the earth. And it gives them faith to go forward boldly to do what God commands them to do. It's the basis for seeing the the greatness of God's love, that knowing that God has made us His children should fill us with with awe and with wonder. That's, that's what John is writing about in John 3. What manner of love. I like the, the NIV translation there. What manner of love he has lavished on us. What manner of love he has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. Who are we? That we should be called children of God. We're sinners. Every day you sin. Every day I sin. We, we sin again and again. And still... He forgives us for Christ's sake. He loves us for Christ's sake. He sees not our sins, but He sees the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's taken our sins and thrown them into the depths of the sea. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. What manner of love He has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And being His children is the basis of our future hope. What is our future hope? Our future hope is an inheritance. Who gets an inheritance? Children get an inheritance. We have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and to an inheritance an inheritance which is laid up for you in heaven, imperishable, undefiled, fading not away, an inheritance that is being kept for you while you are being kept for it. Our future hope is the hope that children have, the hope of an inheritance 
Not that we want to see our parents go, but we know that, that God has in store for us a great inheritance, greater than any earthly inheritance can ever be. A new world in which righteousness dwells. A new world where there be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, everything made new, no more death. How glorious a world that will be when the glory of God will be our light by day so that we don't need the sun anymore. Uh, A world in which there will be perfect peace. That is your future. Your future inheritance which is coming to you because you can say, this God is my Father. If the fatherhood of God were merely the invention of an ancient male-dominated society, then the whole teaching of of the Bible uh, about our relationship with God would have to be thrown out. The whole Bible has to be thrown out. But we confess and believe that the first person of the Trinity, the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Creator and Sustainer, the Ruler of the heavens and the earth, indeed is our God and Father, by grace through faith, because of Jesus Christ our Lord. May God give you great comfort and encouragement in confessing God as your Father. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we may come and call you Father. We thank you that you are the creator of the heavens and the earth. We thank you that you are the ruler who sustains all things and works all things together for our good. We thank you that you have become our Father through the work of Jesus Christ, your Son and that he is now highly exalted at your right hand. Father, we come today to give you worship and praise and adoration for the great wonder that we should be called your children. May we delight in that truth day by day and be conformed more and more to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in knowledge and true righteousness and holiness. Amen.